All right, so we are going to be jumping, in, not in Joshua, hello. <laughs> 82 matches it in, and we are taking a little break. Um, we're going to be talking about today what is so special. Right? During this time of year, well, you know what? People of all ages set their hearts on family. Right? They start to redirect the way they think. They, sort of a spirit of celebration has a tendency to kind of work its way into people's lives. They tend to maybe smile a little bit more than they would otherwise. They sometimes can be maybe a little bit more kind than they would normally be. Uh, there is a, a heart uh, of, of, of Christmas in many folks. But what's interesting is that for some folks, Christmas is a time of celebration. But you know, for other people, Christmas is a, is a tough time. It's a time of sadness. It's a time of loss. But for whatever it is in your life, if it's a time of joy or a time of sadness, what we tend to do with Christmas is we tend to make Christmas about us. Interestingly enough. But you know it's not supposed to be about us, right? It's not supposed to be about us at all. December 25th is a day that we've set aside to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Now, historically speaking, Jesus wasn't probably born in December. He was actually probably born in late spring or early summer. But since we don't really know when, why not pick a day and we'll all just go, you know what, we'll just agree this is the day. So you know what, that's what we've done. We have picked a day, and this is December 25th, where we do just that. And we're going to celebrate his birth. And we do that today for the sake of him receiving glory for what it is that he's done in our lives. Uh, as Christians, we celebrate this day because it is very, very special. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, as I said, the message is called Christmas Past, Christmas Future, and Christmas Present. We're going to look at it from an unusual perspective uh, from about 2,740 years uh, before. So let's pray real quick, and then we will jump right into it. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you for this time when we get to gather around it. Lord, I do pray that you'll help our hearts to be receptive, our ears and our minds to receive what it is you have for us. Lord, I know that I have studied and I have prayed, and God, you've spoken to me, and I'm asking the Lord now that you'd speak through me, that the words that I would share not be the ones that I would choose. Don't let me get in the way. God, I know that uh, you've, uh, you've done a work, and Lord, I know one's here to hear from me. We're here to hear from you, and I just pray that, uh, God, that's exactly what will happen. Thank you for who you are. Please remove the human element of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 2,740 years uh, before uh, there was a man that was born in a place called Judah, okay? In that place, this young man was born in this, in this city of Judah, and then he grew up to be a prophet. And this prophet would actually work for several different kings, Hebrew kings, and he would work in, in several different kingdoms in Jerusalem. He was raised in that area. He was trained in Jerusalem. And then what happened to this young man, or this, this man, is he had an untimely, an untimely death. But God used him in a miraculous way to bring forth prophecies foretelling of the future. Now, these things were not only prevalent, or pre, he was not only prolific in his time, but throughout time. What we find was that this man is that as he lived his life and as he gave what God had given him, that these prophecies were revered, not only in, in the Christian culture, but they're actually revered throughout Hebrew culture, throughout time, through his life, and then after his death. So these Old Testament prophecies that were shared from this individual, they're the most referenced in the entire New Testament. The Old Testament reference of this prophet show up over 400 different times in the New Testament. And this man was professing the glory of God. This is what his life was about professing of the glory of God, professing of the coming judgment that God would bring on humanity. 
the realization that God was coming with a kingdom. While at the same time, what was interesting is the fact that he was also sharing a story of redemption, prophesying of what God was going to do for humanity, revealing his love for humanity. And this, this prophet's name translates, Yahweh is salvation. That's how his name translates. You and I know him as Isaiah. Well, let's listen to what Isaiah has to say in chapter 9, verse number 6. He says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now many of us are familiar with this scripture. We've heard this prophecy before. We go, okay, man. And it's a good thing to be familiar with. But what we're going to do this morning is I want to break it down and look at what he's communicating to us. What is Isaiah telling us some 730 years before the birth of the Lord? He says this in verse number 6, For unto us... When he says us, you know what he's speaking about? Humanity. To all of mankind, unto us, a child is born. A child which is given to all of humanity. A specific child. Isaiah chapter number 7, verse 14, he prophesies of this specific child. He says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel translates God with us specifically. So he's telling you there is coming a child that's going to be brought for mankind and it's going to be God. How remarkable is that? We see next, next Isaiah continues. He says, unto us a son. A son. The son of God. Listen, Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened upon him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen, God sent his Son. Notice what it says next. It says, it is, He is given, given, a gift is given. So a gift, which was a child, which was God, was sent to the earth. Now, how do we define what that gift is? We look in the Bible. Romans 6, verse 23, defines it clearly for us. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, here we go, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Man, don't y'all look sharp. Sorry, sorry. It's all right. So when you look that good, it's coming, coming in late, it's good. You want to get that, you know, boom. I'm telling you, y'all look awesome. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift, right? Here He is. So in His first coming, the Lord comes as a sacrifice for sin. A gift of salvation to the world. That's His purpose. Look at what it says next. And the government shall be upon His shoulder. Now we read that and we go, okay. When did that take place in the first coming? When Jesus came as a child, was He ever ruling the earth? No, did not take place. So in his first coming, that was not the case. As Isaiah prophesies, what he's doing is prophesying of both the first coming and he's talking of the second coming as well. Notice this, what happens, because you know what, when he comes in his second coming, he won't come as a sacrifice, he won't come as a servant, he will come as a conquering king. 
right? This is what he tells us. Notice as he continues. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Listen, his birth, his death, listen, they're going to be a wonder. Counselor. He spoke the unmistakable wisdom of God, the mighty God, all-powerful creator, the everlasting Father. Only one can reign forever. It is Him, the Prince of Peace. Today, listen, He can bring peace to the life of anybody on this planet. But there's coming a day when it will bring peace to this earth. Verse 7 says this, of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, we know Jesus comes from the line of David. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse number 6. You see Christ show up in the line of David. And upon his kingdom, and not upon his kingdom, to order it. To order it, to bring order to the world. Because I can tell you right now, we live in chaos. Right? The Bible says God is not the author of confusion, but we know who is. So as we live in chaos, God's going to bring order. And to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He says, this is a promise from God. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. We see the Lord is going to bring peace and justice. Peace unto all those who will receive the gift of salvation through His Son. Everyone. Peace. You know what? But when He comes again, it won't be about peace. It'll be about justice to those who reject that gift. Notice this, God loves us, but He has to deal with sin because God is just, because God is good. He has to address sin. He has to judge sin. Because you know what? God hates sin. But you know what He loves? Sinners. He loves us. As worthless as we may be, the choices we've made, the things that we've done, the people we've hurt, the, 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 the decisions that our life has wrought in the lives of others, yet God still loves us. The Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. He, he loves us. John 3.16 defines for us who God loves. Listen to what he says. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves the world. Everybody, everybody, notice it says, whosoever. Whosoever, guess who that is? Whosoever. Doesn't matter who it is. Any one of us, anyone. What this reveals to us is the fact that God's love for humanity is, 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 is universal. And what it also shows us is, listen, God displays mercy or, or gives mercy to those who deserve judgment. Because listen, we have all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. None of us are deserving. And yet God loves us in spite of ourselves. And He displayed His love in the most unimaginable way through a horrific, bloody, awful death on a cross. The ultimate expression of of love. For you see, for Isaiah did not just prophesy of Jesus' birth. He also prophesied of his death. Joshua, or Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. Here's our problem. We're all sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We do what we want because guess what? The world's all about us. We fulfill ourselves. We do what we want in spite of what God commands us to be. And it says, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ bore the sin of mankind upon his back on the cross. He did it because he loves us. Recognize it was not nails that kept him on the cross. It was love that kept him on the cross. Because as he could lay down his life, the Bible says he could also take it up again. He could have stopped it at any moment. But there was a debt that had to be paid. The Old Testament, we look at the sin debt that had to be paid. Every year they would give a sacrifice, a physical sacrifice of an animal, a spotless lamb. But recognize there could be only one actual sacrifice that could actually satisfy the debt that humanity had. And it had to be perfect, sinless blood. And there was only one who ever walked this earth who had perfect, sinless blood. Who was tempted in all ways as we have tempted, yet without sin. Love in his heart. Forgiveness in his heart. Compassion in his heart. Hanging on the cross, suffering. Saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Love. Love, love, love. And we see it in the cross time and time again. But you see, before the cross, before the cross, 33 and a half years before that, hope, hope for the world was born in Bethlehem. Hope for the world came in the form of a baby. About 2,050 years ago, this miracle appeared on the earth that would change history forever. That would, in fact, define our calendar, amazingly enough. And we look at this and we go, wow. In this little nowhere village in the Middle East, in this quiet place, hope was born. And Isaiah's prophecy from 730 years before the birth of Christ came true. Realize 730 years is almost three times older than the United States has even existed. 730 years and prophesied that it would come into the very, the very place. Notice this, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. Notice we know it's a virgin. A virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. What in the world? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. I want you to notice that the focus is not on Mary. Mary is not a deity. Mary is not something that we worship. Mary is a person, a vehicle that God used to bring his son to the earth. Verse number 32, he shall be great. He and he alone, he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Notice here a double prophecy taking place right now. Verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You know what he's referencing? He's referencing Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 14. Notice this, Gabriel is explaining the prophecy of Isaiah to Mary. And you know what? Mary being a good Jewish girl, she would recognize exactly what he was talking about. She would be flabbergasted by the news going, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, now, who, what? What? <laughs> You're talking about me? It, it, what? Are you kidding me? The Messiah, the one we've been knowing about for all these hundreds and hundreds of years, these generations, he's going to come by way of me? 
the realization of this, as God reassures her, listen, you know what? This is your mission. God's going to come through you. Luke 2, verses 1 through 12. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And, the, and this thing was, and this taxing was first made by Cyrenius, was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Recognize, Joseph is from Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 tells us about Bethlehem specifically. 735 years before Christ, this is what we hear. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth hath been from of old. He's saying this has been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years and from everlasting. The prophecy will be fulfilled through Bethlehem. The Messiah will come through there in verse number 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. This is about an 80-mile journey. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Interestingly enough, we saw in that video, they showed him being placed in a wooden manger. It's actually believed that what would happen, they did show it in a cave, which is probably what would happen. Stalls and things like that would have been carved out of a mountain. But the chances are that that trough that he was placed in, that, that, that manger, was actually just stone chiseled out, and that's where they would put the, the feed. So we see a child, this baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped in linen, and placed into stone where no man had ever laid before. At his death, do you know what happened? It says in Luke 23, 53, when Joseph of Arimathea went, it says, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen, the body of Christ, and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. Interestingly enough, at his birth, mirrored in his death, picture the same thing. Notice the parallel. Verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore for it. Boy, can you imagine what that was like. Holy moly. <laughs> and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Notice the key. All people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. Doesn't say a Messiah. Doesn't say a King. A Savior. He's coming to die. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this, verse 12, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And we think, why did he choose shepherds? Why did they get singled out? Well, the interesting thing about a shepherd at that time, on the societal ladder, the shepherd was at the very bottom. You know what? They dealt with dirty animals and blood and all kinds of stuff like that. So they were considered to be unclean. So we interestingly go, well, why would he choose to go to the lowest of the low to reveal and say, you know what? You'll be the first to see the Savior. Because you know what? He wanted the message to be that, you know what? I'm not a respecter of persons. It's for all. It doesn't matter who you are. 
doesn't matter where you fall in societal ladder, it does not matter. I love you and I came for you. 1 Timothy 2 verse 3 through 4 says this, And this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Acts 10.34 tells us that God is no respecter of persons. He does not care what our lineage is, what our reputation is, what our wealth is. doesn't matter. It is irrelevant to God. He came for the world. And understand, when Christ came the first time, He came in poverty. He came in humility. That's the reality. He was not coming as a conquering king. Philippians 2 verses 7 and 8 define for us and tell us. It says, but God made Himself of no reputation. He was a nobody. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, listen, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. A humiliating death, a humiliating life. Not about coming as a conqueror, but coming as a servant to die. But Philippians doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Verses 9 through 11 switch things up, and they tell us a little bit of a different story about His second coming. Verse 9 says this, Wherefore God has, God also hath highly exalted Him and given a name, which is above every name. Number 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Every person who's ever lived will one day bow before the King. And that every, and says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah reveals to us, listen, an advent. We talk about the first and second advent of Christ. Advent simply means a coming. The first coming and the second coming. We see in the first coming that Jesus comes in Christmas past as a servant, as a sacrifice. As a servant and a sacrifice. But in His second, He will come as a conquering King. In His first appearance, listen, He offered peace with the Father by way of the cross. But in His second coming, that won't be the case. Understand, that gift is offered to any and all who would believe. Any and all. Whosoever. But when He comes to bring judgment upon this earth to those who rejected the cross, it's going to be Jesus that's the judge. Notice this, John 5.22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Romans 2.16, in the day. That's an icon in Scripture that's pointing to the second coming in the day. When God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And that judgment, you know what it's going to do? It's going to play out like it says in Scripture. Revelations 20, verse 11 through 15, tells us what God's judgment is going to look like. This is God's judgment upon those who have rejected the cross. Verse 11 says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. How sad when God looks at heaven and He says, I found no place for them. There's a door that was opened, but they rejected it. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell were delivered up in the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. They're paying for their sins. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Notice it says second death. Because as a Christian, we're born twice. 
We have a physical birth and we have a spiritual birth. As Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So there's a second birth. Those with a second birth, guess what? They only have one death. It is a physical death. But those who only have a single physical birth, who never experience a spiritual birth, they will have a physical death and a spiritual death. A second death, which is the lake of fire. And verse number 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And though this is a horrific reality for those who reject the cross, sadly it was their choice. Because God offers a love relationship with Him by way of the cross. He suffered for the sins of the world. And every individual on this planet has the opportunity to receive that gift or say, you know what? No thanks. Unfortunately, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many, because of their pride and their self-will and their, and their, and their, and their ridiculous uh, sense of personal worth, and they think there's something special, you know what, they're going to work their way to heaven. Somehow through their goodness, somehow through their, through their religiosity, somehow through their actions, they're going to earn heaven. But the Bible says that's not the case. There is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says in Romans 3.10. So though this is a horrific reality, it is a choice. Because they rejected the sacrificial death of Christ, God's ultimate gift to humanity. Because we look back and we go, okay, the very first Christmas gift ever given was Christ. It's Him. And you either receive the gift or you reject it. It was given in perfect love. It was given without restriction for any, anyone, anyone who would receive it. That's Christmas past. God displayed his love by offering, offering his love, offering a gateway, offering a passage to salvation, a pathway to redemption. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift. A beautiful gift that's offered to everybody. And in Christmas future, as our Lord returns, that gift will no longer be offered because Jesus will be returning, as I said, as a conquering king. He's identified in Revelations 19, 16 this way. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the ultimate ruler. And he will in this role be king and judge of the earth. And he will deliver judgment upon those who rejected the gift of salvation. Which brings us to Christmas present. We've seen Christmas past. We've seen Christmas future. But what about Christmas present? Today, December 25th, 2022. What about now? Listen, knowing the Christmas, knowing what Christmas is truly about. Boy, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing because it allows us to give thanks to God. Man, if you've received the gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, man, praise the Lord. Today is a day of celebration, a day of thanks, a day to look in and go, wow, look what God has done. But you see, that knowledge, that knowledge and understanding of who God is does something else as well. It reminds us about that gift, whether it's truly been received. But you see, there's, there's a struggle there's a lot of people in the world today that are religious. They understand about the gift, right? They could tell you about the gift of salvation. They could talk to you about the cross. 
They could define it for you from a religious standpoint. They could tell you the story from the Bible. They could articulate it, not only in their own hearts, but they could turn around and articulate it to you. And they could explain it in a way where you go, man, it makes sense. I get it. They truly know what the gift is. But there's a difference between knowing the gift and receiving the gift. Okay? There's a big difference between head knowledge and heart ownership. Because there are many people, the Bible says that by their fruits you shall know them. What it's saying is the fruit of God, the love of God, should be revealed in their life. If you're born again, you go from who you were before to a new, the Bible says a new creature. Meaning we respond differently, we love differently, we care differently, we see differently, we hear differently. We respond in the way that we live our lives, the choices that we make. It's guided by the Spirit of God that dwells within us because we have truly been born again. But see, someone who's religious... They do it through their works. They create their their Christianity by being a good person. They force themselves to be kind. They make themselves to be gracious. They're peaceful because it's their will that drives them to do so. You know what the Bible tells us? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let. You know what? We don't have to manifest love. If you're a child of God, His love is in you. All you have to do is get out of the way. And you know what? It will pour out of you. What a beautiful thing. So we understand that there is a gift. And if we've received it, praise the Lord. Man, awesome. But the struggle is there are so many people that have a religious understanding. See, this was the struggle with the Pharisees and the, and the scribes of the day. Because back in Jesus' time, there were people there that claimed to be the most religious of the religious. They looked the part. They acted the part. Boy, they... they up and down, they were the most religious people you could possibly see. They're the most sanctified people. They were the example to follow. But listen to what Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, verses 26 through 28. He says, Thou blind Pharisee. Thou blind Pharisee. He said, listen, you're blind to the truth of who stands before you. You can't even see the Messiah that's been prophesied for all these years. The scripture that you've memorized, that you could quote to me. You can't even see me when I stand right before your face. The blind Pharisee cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that outside of them they may may be clean also. He said, listen, you guys look the part on the outside. The problem is the inside. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Notice this, he says, hypocrites. There's an exclamation point. Rarely do you ever see an exclamation point when Jesus is speaking. But when he talks about hypocrisy, nine different times. Boom, hypocrisy, hypocrite. Hypocrite. He's an exclamation point. He's, he's emphatically saying this. For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. Boy, you look the part outside. But are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also, listen, outwardly appear righteous unto men. When people look at your life, they go, man, you've got to be a Christian. You've got to be saved. Look at the life you live. Look at the way the things you do. But within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And we have a world today where there are a lot of people that can tell you all about Jesus. But when it comes to having a personal relationship of actually receiving that gift, they don't have a testimony of that. They can tell you about it, but they've never personally lived it. And just as the first Christmas gift was all about a miraculous birth, did you know that it was designed to facilitate another miraculous birth? the one that takes place in our hearts when we receive the gift of Christ. Jesus stated it this way when he spoke to Nicodemus. Jesus answering said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
except a man be born again, he cannot, cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, the gift of God must be not only understood, but it must be consciously received as well. It must become ours, right? We receive the gift defined for us in Romans 6.23. It says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And once you have that gift, it's yours forever. It can never be lost. It can never be lost. It's yours forever. Christ came and died for the sins of the world. So what Christmas is actually about is this gift. Peace with God, right? Peace with God. It came by way of the cross offered in Christmas past. And it's so important because if we're not careful, judgment, guess what? It is coming. The Bible says we know not what tomorrow, what we know not what a day may bring. Listen, judgment's coming upon the earth. Yeah. Christmas future is on its way. But it comes down to this. Did we receive the gift? What we did with the gift determines which one we're going to face. Will it be peace with God? Or will it be judgment with God? The choice is up to us. It's not up to God. The Bible says He loves the whole world. That He offers the gift to the whole world, no matter who we are, no matter how badly we've fallen. He loves us and He offers it to us. And when is the day? When is the day that God wants us to receive Him? 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says this, For He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He says, do not wait another day. Because you know what? It might be your last day. The gift of love is offered to any and all who will receive it. The gift of salvation. Man, if it's yours, praise the Lord. Celebrate Him today. Celebrate with your family. Give God thanks. Live a life that glorifies Him. Give a life that that tells people of the good news of Jesus Christ. But listen, if you never receive this, you don't have the gift. Because you can literally know all about it and have never received it. Because if there's a gift under a tree and it has your name on it, you might know what's in it. You might look at the package and go, I know exactly what that is. Yeah, I don't even need to open it. I know what it is. And you see it's got your name on it. It's for you. It's not for anybody else. And let's say it's monogrammed. It's literally specifically for you. And if I take that gift out from underneath the tree and I hand it out like this and I say, here, this is yours. I bought it specifically you and it's made only for you. You're the only one it's for. And you go, I'm good. It does not matter that the gift exists. does not matter that the gift was offered. Because until it's received, it's not yours. And there are many people that can tell you all about the gift who've never actually humbled themselves to receive it. Because in order to receive the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, we have to realize that we're the problem. And you know what our pride tells us? We're good. Our pride tells us we're worthy. Our pride tells us, I'll get to heaven my way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No man come to the Father but by me. You either receive the gift or you reject it. Receive it, peace with God. Reject it, judgment. Judgment's coming. And we think about this and we go, wow, man, Christmas future sounds pretty rough. Hey, if you're a child of God, it's not going to be. But if you're not, there's nothing more horrific than we can possibly imagine.
because there'll be no way out. And we think about this and we go, wow. Then what about Christmas present? What about Christmas present? You know what Christmas present needs to be? Not just a moment in time. We need to look at it for what it is. It should be our identity. Because you know what? Jesus Christ is the Christmas present. (laughs) The one to receive. And he loves us so desperately and has done all that it takes to pave the way for redemption from mankind. We can receive it and be thankful for it. Or we can deny it. Unfortunately, most people will reject it. That's a sad reality. But it doesn't need to be our reality. Look, if you're here today and you say, look, you know, I've never truly received that gift. Maybe I've known about it. Maybe I could describe it. Maybe I could tell people all about it. I've been in church my whole life. Somebody's watching this recorded. They say, you know what? I've been in church 50 years. I led a lady to the Lord who was 96 years old, who was in a Baptist church for 50 years, lost. Because she was religious and she just figured, you know what? I've been raised in this church. I watched these churches work in my family's life, but never received the gift. It's as simple as just a choice. The gift is offered. All we have to do is receive it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the true Christmas present, which is the gift of God. Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters. If there's someone here today and they say, look, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I actually have the gift. The wonderful news is that even today it's being offered as we speak. God, you love every single one of us. You know our stories. You know where we have fallen. You know where we have dropped the ball, where, Lord, we have failed time and again. And all you're doing is waiting for us with loving arms, reaching out, saying, I'm here for you. I want to redeem you. I paid for your sin. And, Lord, by faith, we get to receive that gift. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, not could be. It's a promise. What an incredible thing to celebrate today. The gift that was sent from glory to earth. Lord, it's with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, look, I've never received that gift. I may even know about it. I'm able to describe it. But I've never made it personal. I've never personally chosen to receive that gift. But I want to today. If that's you and you want to receive the gift of God, there is no, there's no magic prayer. There's no ceremony involved. It's you simply responding to the heart of God. He loves you right where you are. He's ready to redeem you right where you are. If you want to receive him, you have that opportunity. I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you're here today and you say, look, and I... I want to receive this gift. I want Christ, a true relationship with God. You have an opportunity just to pray and talk to him. I can promise you that he's listening. So with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, in your heart, in your mind, you can repeat after me. We're going to talk to God. Again, there's no magic in the prayer. There's no ceremony. This is just your heart calling out to him. And if you're sincere, God's listening. I can promise you. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm very sorry for my sin. 
I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. More importantly, I have rebelled against you. And I'm sorry. With my whole heart, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. To pay the price that I owe. Your death on the cross, I receive it as my pathway to the Savior. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.